In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful. May God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. So today's topic is a little bit of a it's a little bit more nuanced, tricky, delicate as a topic, and the point is not really to dwell too much on the topic itself as much as just introduce the notions because we're going to need them for the next discussion where we're going to talk a little bit more about the problem of evil in the world and that general theme that's related to divine justice. So the first topic that we, I think, already covered, so this one is going to be the transition between the two. The first topic that we already covered was free will or freedom of choice. Do we have it or not? And some of the objections against it and what do we mean by it and what's the best argument for it. And so I think we that part should be clear and shouldn't there shouldn't be too many problems or objections or issues with the notion that we believe that we have free choice. We have a freedom of will. When we do something, it's not predetermined for us. We're actually choosing our actions. And we opposed that view to the one that says, basically, either for genetic reasons, for chemical reasons in the brain, for uh, nurture reasons, so the way we are raised by our families or by society, or a combination of all of those, uh, we are not responsible for our own actions because they come to us from any or, or all of these sources. So we responded, we, res we replied to all of this, we refuted all those claims, and so we're now back to square one with the notion that we have freedom of choice. So this next topic, I think it's important, especially for people who come from a background where they were raised in an Islamic culture, where they were raised with a religious background. You must have heard, you must have been exposed to these notions of qada and qadar, which can be loosely translated for qada as decree, divine decree, and we're going to explain them. The point of today's lecture is to explain those things. It's to uh, the, the notion of divine decree, al-qadha, and uh, al-qadar, we can call it predestination. Okay, but we're going to give a lot of synonyms to them. Those notions, once we understand them properly, then we can go into, because they're, they're going to allow us to go into a little bit more detail in terms of how the world works. And what do we mean when we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala qadar, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala qadha? Both terms are used in the Quran and we use them culturally as well. Okay, qada'u qadar, for instance, people say. Something happens and they say it's qada'u qadar. What, what do we mean by that? Is it really accurate or are they being used accurately or not? So, first things first, the notions themselves of qada and qadar. Sometimes when they're used loosely, people use them interchangeably. They, they say qada when they really should be saying qadar, and they say qadar when they should be really saying qada. So they use them as though they both mean the same thing. 
And I guess at a very high level, if we're not into the details, they could, generally speaking, be referring to the divine intervention, but not more than that. Once you go into a bit more detail, then they're very, they're they're related, but they're two very specific notions. So let's say with qadar, start with qadar. What do we mean by qadar? Anyone who has a little bit of Arabic, you know the word qadar. Qadar means basically measure. Taqdir, you estimate or you measure. Okay, so the term, the term, both linguistically and then technically in theology, the way it's used, qadar is the measurement, the limits that you put on something, the planning that you do for it, the blueprint that you put. Okay, so I want you to, to have all these images in mind. This is what we mean when we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yuqaddar. It's like there's an infinity of, of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can give. But for me to be what I am, or for the apple to be what it is, there has to be a lot of limits put in place for the apple to become an apple. Everything that it is not has to be limited and cut off from what it is. Right? So what kind of apple is it? How big is it? What color is it? When is it born? When does it come into this world? And when does it die? Or what happened? All of this is part of planning. These are limits. These are blueprints that are being put in place for that thing to be what it is. So when we say qadar, or when we say predestination, predestination, this is what it means. It's the planning. It's the measurements. It's the limits that are put in place for the world, everything in the world, to be what it is. That includes space, that includes time. So the notion starts with something very physical. Qadar is, for things that are very physical, you need to limit things in space. A car is not infinite in space. It holds a certain volume. Okay, So you start from there and then you apply it to things that are more abstract in our world, in our, in our lives. When are we born? Am I born in this century or 10 centuries ago? Where am I born? So space and time and all the limits that are associated with every item that you could think of in the world, all those limits and all that pre-planning, this is all under the notion of qadr or taqdir. So when the Qur'an says, إِنَّا كُلَّ شَيْءٍ We have created everything, إِنَّا كُلَّ شَيْءٍ خَلَقْنَاهُ بِقَدَر Everything that we have created, we've created it with qadr with a very specific measurement, with a very specific plan, pre-plan, blueprint. There's nothing created randomly. Everything has a place, everything has a time, everything has a size, everything's been given what it needs to be given. Okay, inna kulla shayin khalaqnahu biqadar. Implied in that notion, so we need to make it clear, is the fact that qadar means there has to be steps. Qadar is not a one-time thing. Qadar is by steps. For the apple to be born at that time, to appear in this world at that time, there's an infinity of steps that had to happen before and during for that apple to appear at that time. Okay? All those steps are part of the taqdeer, are part of the planning. So the notion of planning itself is never a one-time thing. A plan has different components and they are orderly. They are sequential, consecutive. They happen over an order of steps. 
Okay? So when we say taqdeer and qadar, or the notion of predestination, this is what we mean. Good? So that's the first notion. Keep that in mind. This is qadar. Now let's talk about qadar. In Arabic, when we say qadha, we usually mean judgment. And that's actually what the word means. The judicial system, the system of the courts and the judges, it's called al-qadha. If you study in fiqh and you study about the rule, the role that the function that is played by a judge and the witnesses and the court, for instance, it's called fiqh al-qadha. Right? Or... Uh, even in, in the legal system, the entire thing is called qadha. So what do we mean? We mean a decree. When the judge makes his judgment, he makes his call, he announces his decision, it's called a decree. It's a judgment. So when we say qadha, what we mean is the judgment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The decision. When something has been decided, this is qadha. When something has been judged, when something has been decreed. So that notion alone, if you contrast it with what we said about Qadar, we're already showing that it's a one-time thing versus the steps and the intermediaries. So Qadha becomes a final outcome. Whether it happened over steps or not, what we're talking about in Qadha is the final outcome. Generally speaking, the way this world works, this universe works, the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created it, is that everything gets to that end result through steps. Okay? Everything happens through many, many intermediaries and many, many steps. So usually when we say qadha, what's implied in it are all the steps that did take place or must take place, but what we're really specifically talking about is the final outcome, which is the final judgment. When the Quran talks about qadha, to, to compare it, everything we've created, we've created with a plan, with a measurement, with a limit. Now when it talks about qadha, إِنَّمَا أَمْرُهُ the, the commander, the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِذَا أَرَادَ شَيْئًا When he wants something, or he wishes something, is to say to it, be and it is. إِنَّمَا أَمْرُهُ إِذَا قَضَى In some verses. In other verses, إِذَا أَرَادَ and now we see it's a matter of a one-time thing. This is qada. So when we put them together, then we understand how the world works. So the world is made up of two things. We have outcomes, we have results. When you look at something in its end state, something happened and you were born, or you died, or you got a disease, or you got a job, or 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 or. This is all the final outcome. This is a decree. This is the qada. And how did we get there? Well, there's a whole lot of qadar that has to happen for that qada to take place. Good? Okay, now let's add one more layer. And again, this is just to I'll give you all the terminology so you understand the terms when you hear them. Sometimes our scholars, when they talk about qada, they call it al-qada or al-qadar al-ilmi. And sometimes they call it al-qadha wal-qadar al-ayni. So what, do they, what are they talking about? If we want to translate them technically, we would say um, divine decree and divine predestination that are epistemic 
علمي at the level of knowledge and قضاء and قدر that are or divine decree and predestination that are عيني or in the outside world they're real they're external or existential or ontological so what are we talking about in some cases when we're talking and then again I'm giving you this so that when you hear them or you hear an argument or you're thinking about it you make the distinctions and sometimes I, that avoids uh, problems when sometimes people are talking about or thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge of the steps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge of the limits and the planning which is different from what's actually happening on the outside world and the same thing when we're talking about qada sometimes we're talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge of the end result his knowledge that this is the final outcome for instance his knowledge that a war takes place and his knowledge of all the events leading up to the war and all the circumstances and conditions that's his knowledge when we talk about aini we're talking about what's actually happening outside or what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is creating in the outside world to make that final event take place okay so that's aini we're talking about the real world as opposed to God's knowledge okay and this could also apply to us if we're thinking about are we talking about the conditions and the circumstances and the intermediary steps or are we talking about the final outcome that's qada and qadr and are we talking about the level of knowledge or are we talking about what's happening in the real world our understanding of them in theory or what's actually happening existentially outside as things in the real world okay so this is just terminology let's add a little bit more nuance when we say that there is predestination or we say that there are intermediary steps and and planning to get to an outcome and we say there is an outcome do we believe that it's all fixed or is there room for change in there so both at the level of the intermediary steps and at the level of the final outcome so both at the level of qadar and qada or taqdeer and qada there are different types there are things that are and that's the majority there are things that are open to change this is in taqdeer all the events leading up to all the circumstances all the pre-planning predestination and the final event the occurrence of whatever all of that leads up to both of them can fall into a whole lot of categories one category of events and events leading to other events or pre-planning predestination one category is fixed no room to play around with it nothing changes it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided that this will happen in this manner there are things of that nature in the world and there's nothing you can do about it and there are other things that sometimes we know what we're doing and causing changes to them and sometimes we don't know what we're doing and still causing changes to them so what do we do with those where there is room to maneuver how do we understand that 
So instead of spending a lot of time talking about a very complex topic, maybe inshallah in the future one day we can spend more time on it, we're going to try to present it in a more simplified version, in a more imaged version. If you go back to the narrations, and even the Holy Quran, there is a mention of Lawh al-Mahfuz. So what is this Lawh al-Mahfuz? If you go back to the narrations, to the Hadith of Ahl al-Bayt, they tell us that Lawh al-Mahfuz, the name literally should mean the preserved or the protected tablet. Okay? If you go back to the narrations, they say the tablet is actually not a tablet. The tablet is a creature that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created. A lot of our scholars are of the opinion that it's a, uh, an amazingly great angel. But some of them think it's not an angel. It's a different kind of being, whatever that may be. But for us to understand what it is, because of its role, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to it as a tablet. Just like we have for the pen, al-qalam. Al-qalam is not a pen or a pencil or a feather. Okay? It's the role of that entity is to do something that in our world, to understand it would be like understanding the role of a pen. Okay? Again. So let's go back. We can't spend too much time on this. This is another topic, inshallah. We'll talk about it much more at another time. Let's talk about the tablet. We have in our narrations, and there are references to it in the Holy Quran, that there is this preserved tablet. There's Lawh al-Mahfuz. Lawh al-Mahfuz is this thing, a tablet or a creature in which are inscribed, written, everything that will ever happen, that has ever happened and that will ever happen in all of time. Okay? I'm going to re-say all of this in a second, la different language at the end. But this is just for us to understand. Whatever is in that tablet, that cannot change. There is no change once it's written in that tablet. Okay? We go back to our narrations, and we are told that there are also other tablets. Not at that level of this tablet. Not of its rank. They're inferior to it. This is the main tablet. At the highest level. The closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that tablet. Under it, there are smaller, lesser, inferior tablets. What's in them, depending on where they are, may change. What's in it cannot change. No matter what changes in them, the end result is what's written in the main tablet. Now, again, all, all of this so that we understand better how all of this works. Let's say there are 10 of these tablets, 10 levels. And of course, so let's say level 10 is the preserved tablet. And under it, there are minor tablets in an order. So the one that is in the ninth level and the ninth rank is the closest to the preserved and the eighth is a little bit less and the seventh is a little bit less if somehow i had access to tablet number one and that's it and someone else because of their proximity to allah had access not only to tablet one but to tablet one and two and three 
of course our knowledge is not going to be the same of how the world works and of what will happen when. And if someone has access to the first five tablets, of course their knowledge is more. And if they know what's in tablet one and in tablet two and in tablet three and four and five, they will also know how things will change to reach tablet five. That what's in tablet one is going to change because they already have seen what's in tablet two. Tablet two is closer to the end result. Tablet one will change a lot more than tablet two. And tablet two will change a lot more than tablet eight. Because once you reach tablet ten, nothing changes. By knowledge of these tablets, we No, I'm just giving an example. Okay, I said I'm going to repeat all of that in a second language. Okay, second terminology, second wording. But I'm just telling you, assume that we're telling a story. Okay, so there's this tablet, whatever is in it does not change and matches whatever will happen at the end in this world. Whereas if you have something at a lower level, it may change. You don't need to know how. All you need to know is tablet one will change the most. In fact, anyone who could see tablet one and two and three, if you have access to tablet 10, you can right away tell which one is closest and you can start seeing what's gonna, what may change. You can start seeing how it changed. How did it go from one to two? What were the differences between one and two? And between two and three? And between three and eight? Do you, do you basically mean there are steps on the, until it gets to tablet eight, ten? And then there is no step beyond it? That's the final result of everything? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying there are steps. It's not like pre-planned steps. Yeah, no, but like they change... To the end result of each one is the next tablet. And then the, the, next the, the revised version, mm -hmm. because of things that happen in the real world, mm -hmm. this tablet, this is what we started out with. If things were supposed to work just the way they were supposed to with nothing that changes, or if there was no room to change anything, we would be only with tablet one and that's it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created windows of opportunity. Good ones and bad ones. You can make things a lot worse and you can th make things a lot better. So you have, if you go back to the narrations for instance, you are told, if you want to extend your life, you want to have a longer life in this world, be good to your parents and to your family. The more you do Salat Raham, the more there's an extension in your life. So if you were born in this world, let's use a tablet example, if you were born in this world, on tablet one, you are supposed to be given 75 years in this world. But if you do those things, you're going to be given five more or 10 more or 15 more years, depending on how good you are. In tablet two, you may be at 85 years. And maybe at tablet three, you're back to 60. You did something that changes. You went one way or another. Okay? Tablet 10 has the final result. Is it like basically with time? Yes. So every person has his own end result basically. And it's like every 10 years you get to the next tablet. I'll, I'll add one thing to that, but I'll answer a question and I'll come back to that. That's a good question. Yes. Uh, I just saw this thing two days ago. Uh, there's a really famous doctor. Uh, 
and he had to get heart surgery done uh, at one point in his life, like when he was old. And uh, during during the surgery, uh, he didn't know this, but during the surgery, like after he woke up, they told him that he died for three minutes. Three full minutes, his heart was just fully stopped. And uh, uh, they like, like, probably like there's fields of research talking about how, uh, like, for example, like people who go like into comas and whatever, and they like they interview them after like what happened. So it's basically that interview, and the guy asked him like, "What did you feel during those uh, three minutes?" And he was like, uh, he explained it as like it was just like complete emptiness, and like I was going somewhere. I just didn't know where. It was complete emptiness. And halfway through the road, I saw people that I actually helped in my actual life that told me to go back to the other road. So that's what kind of linked to what you were saying mm-hmm. of how sometimes like uh, people that you actually helped in well like Salat Al-Ham or health or yeah things they may have direct repercussions yeah. in their lives yeah so this person witnessed something Would, yeah witnessed something. yeah that's very good the the point that you're making so it's like there's things that happen over time and it's like we we, we each have our own timeline but it's open to change. What are all the laws? What are all the rules to change? We don't know. But we've been given glimpses. So it's up to us. Do we use at least those glimpses or not? Example, Salat Laham. Example, if you want to get rid of things, the Holy Prophet says, if you give charity, if you give sadaqah, there is bala or qada, something mubram. So the image that he gives, it's as though... It's a rope or ropes that have been tied together. You know how difficult it is to untie them? If you look at a wire and how it's made, how everything has been tied together one over the other and spun. Okay? He says, there is qada of a bala on you. There is a decree. A judgment has been made that you have to go through a certain test, a certain tribulation, a disease, the death of someone close, some difficulty that you have to go through. The Holy Prophet says, this is how we're trying to link all the images together. The Holy Prophet says, give sadaqah, give charity, for it opens the qada that has been spun around on you. Okay? So even the qada that is pretty tight, so he's not saying it's impossible. It is that kind of qada, not all of it. Where is it? We don't know. That hadith, that's why I say we have glimpses. It tells us when you give sadaqah, it opens up the qada that has been spun around to become tight and difficult to open. The sadaqah opens it up. So that the bala is, goes away. Because you paid sadaqah and you helped someone. So it makes this one go away. So like the snake story? For instance, the snake story. Okay? Yeah. Do you want to give, tell the snake story? The guy... Uh... The prophet used to see him walk by and talk to some people. For a long time, I don't know if everything's 100% accurate. But, uh, so he was, walk, he was walking by, and the prophet said, This man is going to die tomorrow to everybody that he was with. So, people, some people obviously the, that were don't 100% were with the prophet were waiting for the next day to see if he doesn't live. So, they'd be like, Hey, he didn't live. It goes by, he's like, uh, and then he was, I think, like, he was reassuring. Oh, so he said in two days, the next thing he reassured, this guy is going to die tomorrow. The 
next day it comes and they see the guy just walking by. Like he was supposed to be dead. So I told the old kids to talk about, oh, he's not dead. Like, what happened? You know? So they go, uh, he's like, he just doesn't talk. They follow him. They go to the guy's house. They lift his mattress and there was a dead snake under it. So he's like, today was the day he was supposed to die, but he put a sadaqa and that sadaqa saved his life. So that's basically it. So if we go back to the notion of the tablets, so in tablet one, that guy is supposed to die. Yeah. In tablet two, he gave the sadaqa. So now there's an extension in his life. Something changed. And it could go both ways. You can create better circumstances for yourself. And sometimes you know what you're doing and sometimes you don't. And sometimes you can create bad circumstances. So another glimpse, and this is the big one, the big one, the glimpses, the windows that we are given. The biggest one is which one? That we know about very clearly that that's the name of it. It's Laylat al-Qadr. It's the once a year that happens. You want to rewrite your life? This is your chance. That's why it's called the Layla of Predestination. The Night of Predestination. Or the Night of Destiny. This is a window. This is the greatness of these nights. So we want to seize the opportunity and rewrite that tablet. This is when you do it. In the month of Ramadan. And that's why sometimes people come and say, but which one, which night is the right night? Okay, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving you more than one. He's giving you three. There is a possibility that it's not even three. It might be five or seven or nine or ten nights. Okay, depending on how you use and interpret the ruayat. But the majority of people don't know. They think it's those three nights. And if they're lucky, they might, you know, make a little bit more effort in one of them because, you know, people rely on one narration that says, you know, most like that. If you had to, this is the night that you have to do it. So everybody concentrates on the last night and says this is the greatest and they put all their energy in it. But the truth is we're being given a window of opportunity. You want to rewrite those tablets? This is a chance to rewrite them. This is why it's called Laylat Al-Qadr. The limits are being set this night. And they're presented, you have a chance to rewrite your tablet and in the narration, so all of this goes back to your imam, goes back to whoever is the hujjah of the time, who takes a look at this to understand how the world is going to unfold this next year. Which may not be the same way that it was supposed to unfold based on last year. So when they say you have ilm al-ghayb, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have everything exposed to you all the time until the end up. There are things that are happening as they go. Okay? So depending on your knowledge, you're being exposed to certain things. It might be level 1 or level 2 or level 3 or level 10. So if someone has access to the last level, yeah, they have the knowledge, the knowledge, the ultimate, that does not change. If it's before that, there are changes. These changes are referred to as bida'a. So if ever you hear the term bida'a, that's what it refers to. It refers to the changes that take place in what was judged, decreed, predestined. If there are changes, the changes are called bid'ah. So the Shia are known to believe in bid'ah. Okay, yes. What can't change? Whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides that that can't change. For instance, I'll give you an example. For instance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed that someone shall die by a certain disease. 
And there's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided that person will die by that disease. Okay, so that is not open to change. Okay. So he decided, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided what won't be able to change. Mm -hmm. okay. Yes. So, 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 so maybe maybe he decided I want I would die from a disease, but that wasn't the final thing. Yes. I could change that. Yes. Maybe, but then for someone else it is. Exactly. Okay. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and there are we have narrations of those. They tell us, for instance, if you read certain surah, or you give certain sadaqah, or you do a certain amal, it will release you of your of any disease, except the disease that will kill you. Because there are diseases that are have been for you, there's a predestined one that is supposed to kill you. So if you die out of that one, well, you know, you got the reward for the a'mal that you did, but it will not save you from this disease because in your case, this is the disease that will take your life away. This is the cause of your end. And there's nothing you can change. And for someone else, you can change. I have a question. Yeah. Like, uh, you said how, like, basically there's levels under the, under the al-Mahfur. Yeah. So, doesn't that basically mean that, like, the change that's going to happen will always enter the... So, isn't that the same thing as predetermination? Yeah, it is. But there's a window of change. But there is no window though, because every, no matter what, it's going to become this. So this is what we're explaining. We're not there yet. Okay, okay. we're going to link it back to the previous topic. Okay. We're just giving the terminology. Just to go back, was I correct in saying every ten years you get to the other one? Or from what I'm hearing, I'm not right. No, no, it it's it's not twenty four seven. It's, the, yeah, it's open twenty four seven, but there are windows of opportunity. That are much clearer and much greater. It's like this: like ten levels of the heart are just standing on top of your head, yeah. seven. And then, depending depending on the level of the action you do, it changes. Depends. It changes something that changes everything below it as well. We're linking that the the levels. We're linking it to the ranks of people. That's why when we say, for instance, that there is an imam that is of a higher rank. Or there is a prophet who is of a higher rank. It's a higher rank in what? Well, this is one area. The knowledge is not the same. The action, the action they do is different than the action, like because the action also has to come with intention, the knowledge of the action, everything. No, but if you say, for instance, so Prophet Nuh salam and Prophet Musa are not the same rank, mm -hmm. and Ibrahim salam is not the same rank, and Isa salam is not the same rank. Each one of them has a different rank. So one way to understand this is that they are accessing a different level of knowledge. And this is one type of knowledge that they're accessing. There's different kinds of knowledge. Now we're talking about the knowledge related to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has pre-planned for this world, how it unfolds, and His decrees, the final events, how they unfold. Okay? You get to a level where you know the future. But only God knows the future. Only, I think, isn't it? Only Allah has. So, if we said Lawh al is actually a creature, then that creature holds all the knowledge. <laughs> There's two things that have Allah and. Would, would uh, Muhammad have. See? So, that opens the door to another discussion, which is so, where is the Prophet in all of this? When clearly we have narration after narration saying that he is the greatest of all creatures. And there is no perfection found in any creature that is not found in him. Maybe it's not all predetermination. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe 
like there is a law. Predetermination doesn't mean you're the greatest. Having knowledge of everything doesn't. Okay, so that's another topic. We'll come back to that. I don't want to go with that. Okay, <laughs> don't 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 make any decisions yet. Okay. Okay, so is it fixed or is it changeable? There's different levels. There's different ranks. And one way to understand all of this, now we talked about the people. Another way to understand this is to talk about the, sometimes our scholars call this the divine knowledge. The, the levels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge are not all the same. What do we mean? There are instances in the Quran where it says, for instance, Allahu. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is creating a situation so that he may know. What does that mean? What do we mean so that he may? He doesn't know already? Okay, so what do we mean by why does the Quran say so that Allah may know? So he knows confirm? Because he has free will, so, so he knows what I guess. But he knows. He still knows about Okay, well, so. so he, he wouldn't have free will. If he doesn't test you. Okay. Even, even if he, even if he, he still has free will regardless of whether he knows or not. Okay, but the point of it is to like. I think, I think no means something other than what we think no means. <laughs> So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so one way to understand this, there's different ways, but the, the, the one that will save us the most time, I think, is simply to say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has different levels of knowledge. He has them all at the same time, but depending on what he's talking about, he's talking about one type of knowledge or one level of knowledge. Or to use a terminology we've already used because it's an easier image, different tablets. So Allahu is the lowest level. The the tablet that every, where we all live, okay, this is Allahu. So that Allah may know in this world. But Allah has access to all the other worlds. But why wouldn't he just use the final tablet to know or like whichever tablet? He does. He does. But in this case, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to explain the tribulation, the test. So he's talking about the knowledge. The knowledge that is being created as you live your life. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has knowledge of this or not as it's unfolding. Yeah, he witnesses it as everybody else does. But he also has knowledge pre-eternally of everything and the final outcome. And if it changes, how is it going to change? And if it changes again, how is it going to change again? Yes, that knowledge is all there. But now we're talking about this one where things are unfolding. As they unfold, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a knowledge of them. So now the verse is talking about this unfolding knowledge taking place on the ground in the world as it happens. Okay? Yeah, but if you go there, then you say, why did he create the world in the first place? To test us so that one But he already knows. He can prove but he already knows. He can prove it to us. Okay, so we're there. So we are, the, he can prove it to us, has to unfold here, now. Okay. So there is the unfolding there is a divine knowledge that goes with it. When you do, don't you say Allah sees you? Yes. Does He not see you praying? Does He not see you praying to Him? When you pray to Him, does He have knowledge, which means Sami' Basir, for instance, of what? Okay, so this is unfolding. It's it it is happening immediately in this moment. Okay, and the knowledge. So we're there's an infinity of levels of knowledge. The knowledge about the stuff that is as it unfolds, that's one level of knowledge. That's it. So the verse now is talking about this level. It's not talk, talking about everything 
كل شيء احصيناه في امام مبين So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying he sees you as you're doing which is different than saying Allah knows everything from forever does, ha- does that have the same impact on you as saying Allah sees you as you pray Allah sees you as you're being tested it depends how you think of it but personally well, like whatever it is it is but like I'm asking you like basically didn't you last last just you said that all of time is in front of Allah and it's not like that's at the highest level Okay. So this is the level where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has it's his real knowledge. Okay, but why would he why would he go why would he go down if he if he has if he could see everything? I just told you. To you as a normal human being, okay. it does it have the same impact, the same effect on you if I tell you, I'm going to tell you two things. On one side, you're going through all the difficulties of life and you're you're at war and you don't know what to do and should you follow this man who says we have to go to war or not, we might get killed or not, okay? This is what's unfolding. This is what the verse says, okay? So the Quran says, so that God may know who amongst you is good and who amongst you is not going to follow the Prophet. Does this have the same impact if the Quran says it this way or if the none of this is mentioned? It's There's just a verse in the Quran that says, By the way, Allah knows everything pre-eternally. Does that have the same impact on you to decide to go with the Prophet or not? No, but so it's for impact. Everything is. The whole point of everything is to guide people, to get them to do something. It's not just to give them theoretical knowledge. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, just one more thing. Um, For when when you said that God, like, for when... Like when God steps, when God shows it to you, like, uh, what, what, like, I'm sorry, I jo- keep going, keep going. You lost track? I lost track. Okay, we'll get back to it. Okay, so we said that there is predestination and there is divine decree that are fixed and do not change, and there is that is changeable, open to revision and change. And we called the changes themselves are referred to. So if you encounter the word, you know what it means. And they're called beda. The changes to predestination and the changes to divine decree. Tuqaba and qadr are called beda. We talked about the al-mahfuz and the access to it. So when we look at all of this, we're basically saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created a pre-plan, has predetermined the limits, the measurements, the conditions of everything in this world and he has decreed things in this world anyone who looks at this in itself there's no issue the issue has already come up naturally on its own where's the issue the issue is when we link all of this to free will so if we say that human beings have free will what do we do with the divine will So to take both terms together, predestination and divine decree. If I'm saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala predetermines and decrees everything that happens, then where is my free will? And if I do have free will, then what do I do with the divine will? The predestination and where do they play? Where do they start and stop? What do we do with them? If we go back to what we said, 
previously. These are the two extremes that created two, the two big theological schools of thought in Islam, the Sha'ara and the Mu'tazila. One group saying, there is no free will. Allah subhanahu if you really believe in Allah and you understand what we're talking about, then you cannot believe in free will. Otherwise, you don't really have an understanding of Allah and how the world works. You're basically saying there are other gods beside God who can have a real impact in the world. But the only impact is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He pre-plans, predetermines, draws the blueprints of everything and decrees. And whatever happens is just, everything is a puppet on a theater. And everything just unfolds as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preordained it, ordered it, commanded it to unfold. That's it. Those are the Isha'a. That last week we said they do not believe in free will. Yeah. It's so, Humma, to make all of this make sense, they say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do whatever He wants. And they use verses of the Quran that they make them say that. You are trying to impose your human logic on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by saying, and at the end, the good will go to heaven and the bad will go to hell. But that's your human reason. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowed to because He owns us and He owns all creatures. We don't have any rights over Him. Not us and not our reasons. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could take all the prophets. This is in the books written as I'm saying it. Allah could take all the prophets and just dump them in hell. And take all the wrongdoers and put them in heaven. And there is no issue with that. Okay, so this is the position of the extremist Asha'ir. Do they mean like do they mean that Allah can Allah can see people doing actions and really good people and uh, they're really good, not just like you know, not just I just said know. prophets. Yeah, so pro like but like prophets like but like do or do they believe that they're like when he orders it then, then they basically turn bad? No, you have if you had if you right now okay. right now you personally you, decide to go home and you create 10 puppets and you create a theater and you write your script and you make one of the characters be really good and the other one really bad and he commits great un wrongdoing against that really good uh, and this is just going through injustice, okay? They're a victim. And at the end, you say, and so this is where everybody's going to end up. You take the really good guy who was just a victim, who was uh, treated unjustly, you take him and you dump him in, in a fire. And you take the really bad one and you say, and you end up being really good and everything is nice. And you are right to do that. No one will come and say you are an unjust. They're just characters you created. You own them, you own the theater, and you own the outcome, and no one can come and say there's any true, real world outside of what you decided it is. But Allah doesn't say that. But the Sha'ara say that's what he says. Don't, just don't they so they discard everything else that you also mentioned about like in the Quran. consequences yeah. and if discard all that. Yeah, yeah. Your job is to try to be as good at all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I didn't want to make it. Like making a whole thing of it. Doesn't it say in the Quran, Majazah al-Husna al-Husna or something like that? Yeah, Majazah al-Husna al-Husna. Yeah. Yeah, but so if we go through the verses of the Quran, we have to go through all the verses of the Mu'tazila who make fun of this and they say the Asha'ara don't understand anything. And the Asha'ara... Is that something I missed? 
So this came up in right at the beginning, since the time of, you know, after the passing of the Holy Prophet, from the time of Musa al-Ash'ari, it created a school. His followers, and then these were yeah, students and scholars. Oh yeah, yeah, this is all, both, there's this school, two schools were created. Basically, the Sunni world is split in two. There's the Ashara and the Mu'tazila. There's nothing else. Okay, if we want to really lump them in like under big headings, we can split them a lot more. Okay, but if you want to use just like very high level Sunnis. terminology, pardon me? Yeah, of course. Well, depends when. Because the Mu'tazila were very strong because they were rational. And really, really, and this is not the time to go in all of this, but at one day, inshallah, we, we should spend a good time to discuss this. It's very interesting. You see, basically, whoever was politically supported, whatever the caliph said, this is my political position, everybody else was wiped out. And those became the official religion. Just like the same thing. This is what happened with the belief system. We're talking about beliefs here, right? We're only talking about aqaid. For instance, Tawheed, for instance, Divine Justice, this is all Aqa'id. If we talk about law, legal, the same thing happened. We would do the same thing, but we would say, instead of saying, there's two big schools, because there's only two big schools in Aqa'id, but there's four schools in, in the law, that's exactly what happened. Whatever the Caliph decides that this is going to be the official Madhab. So when they refer to Madhab, usually they're talking about law. They're not talking about beliefs. This, these are Madhab too. So Mu'tazila is a madhab and a sha'ara is a madhab. Okay, today it's a sha'ara. Mu'tazila were wiped out as a as a official group. Politically, for political reasons. The Mu'tazila want to rely entirely on reason. The sha'ara want to rely entirely on scripture. And both of them created horrible situations. But at least the Mu'tazila usually were more reasonable. Their claim is that we're more reasonable. And oftentimes, if you the scholar who's writing, regardless of where they are, they might be Shi'i, they might be non-Shi'i, they mix up a lot between the beliefs of the Shi'a and the mix uh, and the beliefs of the Mu'tazila. When there are differences between them, now we did not believe what we believe in, and everything we're talking about here and what we're going to keep talking about for divine justice. A lot of people say we're all the same. We're all called Adliya because the Mu'tazila believed in divine justice. No, actually, we don't say the same thing they do. We follow our imams who's taught, who taught us la jabra wa la because the tafwil was the official position of the Mu'tazila. The Sha'ara said jabr, predetermination, predestiny. Everything is decided by God. Jabr. Tafwil is a human being, divine, everything we talked about, they say, yeah, that happens in everything in the world except for the actions of human beings. Divine intervention cannot, not does not, cannot reach human action. We have absolute free will. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot have any impact on what we do. No, that's an extremist position. We have a lot of free will. But it's limited. It's limited in what way? Like, uh, so, if we're saying it's already, I'm assuming so, like, let's say you have... You have a future that's already written, but you yeah. can rewrite it, and that would be a second tablet. And you can rewrite it again. That's another tablet. But the, like the tenth one, that's it. That's no, okay. no. See, you're gonna fall into that trap here. Yeah. 
And that's what we tried to solve last week. Knowledge and causality are two different things. Okay, we have to deal with each on its own. What do we mean by causality? Something causes something else. Okay? Knowledge is not causality. Knowledge is, it's as though like, to have knowledge is there's something behind this. To, for me to see it, I have to remove it. And now I see what's behind it. Yeah. So something reveals. This revelation, this discovery is the knowledge. That I know what's behind this does not make it so. Yeah. It doesn't change anything in the thing in itself. All it says is I have knowledge. It's been revealed to me. When I say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has knowledge, we're not saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused it to be this way. That's why I talked about the tablets. That's why I said people have access to a knowledge. So if I have access to tablet 1 or tablet 10, does my knowledge of that tablet, what's con the content of that tablet, make the thing happen? No. That's knowledge. That's just knowledge. That's different than causing it to be. Okay. Yeah. The knowledge was of God's decree. So God decided this was going to happen. So if he decided that was going to happen, he made it happen. Obviously yeah. the steps were, might have been changed or whatever, but in the end he decided yeah. this is going to happen. He's going to die on this day from this disease. I decide this. That's yes. Right? Yeah. So would that not be him causing that? Yes. Okay, so now we have to drill there. And I wasn't planning on jumping into that right now because there's more stuff we, I want to cover before we get there. But the, long story short, okay, to summarize all of this, we're going to give the punchline now, okay? The things that you're mentioning have nothing to do with predetermination in the sense that we need. What are we emphasizing on? What are we talking about? We're talking about free will. Free will in what? Do I need free will about when I die? Do I need free will about what disease I get? Do I need free will about how much money I get or what job I get or, or, or? No. Where do I need my free will? That's it. My responsibility, so therefore the reward and the punishment that awaits what I do, is equal to the choice I'm given. Where is the choice? Am I being rewarded or punished for when I was born? No. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides that himself. But does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decide for me if I'm going to pray today in the morning or not? No. He gave me free will here. He didn't decree that I pray or not pray. He gave me free will. But for example, the thing that would extend your life yes say you did that mm -hmm. you made the conscious decision free yes. will yes that i'm going to do this to extend my life yes and then in the end god decided no you're not gonna be no you can't say that so this is the part that we're saying no allah subhanahu wa does not decide that for you if he decides that for you you have no free will exactly but i'm saying you have free will allah did not decide that for you oh so then i so the son of the Allah gave you all the conditions and you know to be very logical let's say you have seven different alternatives here or five different alternatives 
If you choose this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows at the end which one you're going to choose. But He's not making you choose. What Allah gave you are conditions. He gave you a platform that gives you these seven different paths that you can take at any given time in this situation. You may decide this one, you may decide nothing, you may decide that one, you may decide a partial or a mix or whatever. Depending on which one you choose, that will determine the next step. That's it. That's what you're responsible for. So he just knows that you're going to choose this one, so he decreed it. Like no, he didn't decree it. Because in the end, he knows the final outcome. He knows. That's different. That's why I'm saying, do not mix up the causality, which is he causes you to, mm -hmm. versus he knows. So what's the difference between that and a decree? <laughs> so what do you mean the decree? Because he decreed things, right? Yeah. But this is not qada. Did we say this is qada? We're saying this is your free will. Yeah, but ba based on the qada, yeah, it reduces the free will that you have, doesn't it? In terms of foreseen future will. Okay, so in taqdeer, in the taqdeer, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided that you were going to be born to those parents in that century, in okay, that so household. That's and that's, okay. This is outside of your scope. And, and you're not responsible for it. And if it's difficult to the point where it plays any impact, it influences you in any way to be better or to be worse, that's taken into account in your reward and punishment. Because you have more work to do or less work to do. So to you, something that's very easy to someone else is very difficult to you. Because genetically, you're predisposed to, that's taken into account in the reward and the punishment. But in the Qadr, like you, you have room in the Qadr. Like basically in the Quran when it says Qadr rabbuka illa ta'abudu illa iyyah. Allah has decreed. So, so, so this is a legal decree. Yeah, so, but not everybody, not everybody only worships Allah. Yeah. So Qadr, you can, there's a room in it. So what do you mean room? Keep, keep it straight. Like basically just like, uh, uh, just like, remember the legislative will and the, uh, other one? This one is legislative. Exactly. It doesn't, if it would have been, a, a, you know, we call it an existential one. Yeah, existential. If we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here, when it says, وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّا Everybody would be worshipping Allah. Exactly. It would be end. خلاص. It's an, uh, you know, executionary or existential. There's no choice there. The moment Allah decides that, it's that's it. It's, it's the taqween. It's the way things are created. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not say that. He said, وَقَضَى Legislatively, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed that you shall only worship Him. But in your free choice, He allowed you to worship Him or not. So, qadha is legislative? And no. no. No, no, no. <laughs> no? No. There is legislative and there is existential. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides that a war has to take place. A war takes place. You don't need to be the one causing the war. So Qadha is basically the after steps of Qadha. It's the end. It's, the end. it's one outcome. So is it possible for for him for his Qadha to be this, 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 that, and then his Qadha be something totally something different? It could be. Okay. So you, you can't be the beginning and end of the cancer. <laughs> no, but there is, there is, and we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not do things randomly. Of course. Do we understand this causality fully at all times? No. Physics, yeah. 
We have narrations, I don't know if it's authentic or not, but there's a narration, for instance, that says that there is a man who would always come to the Holy Prophet and he would tell him that he wants the Holy Prophet to pray for him, to make him disappear, teleport from where he is to be on top of a mountain far away. And the Holy Prophet would always, you know, like just... You know, <laughs> what the hell is this guy the <laughs> prayer you want me to do? You know, let it go. It's not good for you. Just let it go. Okay? And the man would not stop. Okay? And at the end, the Holy Prophet prayed for him, and the man went there. And the angel of death came to the Holy Prophet afterwards. And he told him, I'm very surprised, but I understood what just happened. Because in my functions in my mission in my mandate i always knew that this man i have to take his soul on top of that mountain so this is what i'm saying sometimes when you look at the way things are unfolding it does not make any sense how allah is going to be this outcome when everything looks like it should not be this allah subhanahu wa does things the way he wants to do so them. So the al-Mahfud is existential. Everything under it is legislative. And yeah, al-Mahfud has nothing to do with the laws. It's not, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to explain, you know, someone who believes in me will, will fast 30 days of Shahar Ramadan in Lawh al-Mahfud. Is it basically like, like, uh, in the same, like, connected to the one where in Surah Al-Kahf when Nabi Allah Musa al-Khubr no, this is different. That's this is different. That's why I'm saying there's different types of knowledge. This is one type. Okay. This knowledge of the what's pre You know what? An easy way to imagine all of time. Actually, you know, there's a way for you to fast forward it. Okay. Fast forward all of time until the end of time. Okay? <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's a little bit more than that. Okay? And let's say you go through everything and you reach the end. You take a picture of that end. And you put it on You see the end state And because it's a different Special type of knowledge You see everything that unfolded to get there You have one picture of all of time From beginning to end in Taken as is and put there That's it So sometimes like, like, Just like Azrael Maybe he has a knowledge of the higher So in this case He was saying whoever was the angel of death I don't know if it was Israel or someone else the angel of death for that person came and said my job was to take this guy's soul from that mountain and I knew that forever but I look at him and I see where he's living and there's no way for this guy to end up on that mountain how am I going to take his life from there and then <laughs> he appeared there at the right time where his soul is supposed to be taken there and they say this man was doing this to avoid death <laughs> That's the punchline. <laughs> okay. Anyway, and there is a holy Quran, a verse of the Quran that they say is the interpretation. This is the, the story is the interpretation or the reason why it was revealed. Anyways, I'm I'm not saying it's authentic, but I think it helps to understand. And this is like a anyone who studies enough history of humankind, you see how things unfold. When you have, let's say, you know, to, to use like a very, very prominent, very well-known example, anyone who studies any big civilization 
or the story, because that's even smaller for the majority of people, we live in like day to day. So we don't, we don't know how to step back and see things as they are unfolding over history. We understand them as they happen to us one day at a time. People living under a dictator, they cannot imagine a time when that dictator is not there. And they could not imagine how, how could anything happen for that dictator to not be there anymore. Okay, if, especially if they go through a certain, you know, very difficult circumstances that make them increasingly think there's no way to get rid of this guy. Okay, and the history is all full of this. And then things just spin around somehow, and whoa, the, the dictator just disappears overnight. Everything is gone. It's like as if they never existed. And things just continue to... This is, this is how things unfold. This, this topic is supposed to help us with that. But we cannot go into it without... If we forget the free will part. Okay? I think we've covered enough of predestination. We've covered enough of divine decree. Okay? As notions. What do we do with causation? So we said we cannot mix up two things. We cannot mix up knowledge with causation. What's causation? Is that there's something causes something else. Okay, so let's go back to causation. We've talked a lot about it, but let's wrap it up with this one, inshallah, for a little while. We're going to have to come back to it one more time a little bit later with divine justice, inshallah, but not today. There's four types of causation for something to cause something. One type of causation is that, let's say you look at a plant. What causes the plant to become a tree? It has to have air, it has to have the minerals in the soil, it has to have the light, it has to have the water, all of that together. So one type of causality or causation for something to be, it requires simultaneous causality. But each one of these plays a partial role. Okay? So I'm not going to go into the details. This is going to allow you to, when you look at the world, when we're saying we have free choice and free will and there's predestination and pre-planning, how, do how does this all of this work together? One, sometimes you need all of the causes together because each one of them plays only one role. This is material causes, right? So things we, we experience and live with all the time. Another type of causality is alternating. Example, you have a plane and it has a lot of engines. They're not all blasting at the same time. Some of them shut off and others shut off, uh, go on. Right? They alternate. Example. Okay? The, there are types of causality where one stops and the other one kicks in. And the other one stops and the other one kicks in. It could be two, it could be more. That's another type of causality. Mm -hmm. Another type of causality is ordered. Simple example, there's so many of them. A car pileup. You look at a pileup and you see, you see the result at the end. But what happened is that one car slid and hit another one, and then a second one hit it, and then a third one, and a fourth one, and a five, fifth one, and or a domino effect. Or you put ten matches and you light the first one. Or you take these metal iron marbles and you hit the first one and you see the last one move. And you see the energy went through. Okay, these, these are ordered causes. The cause, the cause here, there's an order to it. There's a sequence to it. It's moving from one to the other. The causality is moving, right? It's not happening right away. There's something that kind of travels, a causality, an effect, 
the effect that's taking place is not the immediate one, but no one could say it's the car before. Why did this car hit? It's the one before. No, that's not enough. You have to go to the one before that because that one hit it first, and the one before that hit it first. So there's something that's necessary. So you have to look at the whole thing to say this was the cause. That's why I'm saying when we say what's the cause of something, it's not as simple as just saying, you know, one thing. There's different types of causality. One type of causality is just like the ordered one, but it's more existential. So, same thing as, let's say, the domino, the dominoes. Or let's say this, this pen, when I write something with it, what's, what's doing the writing? Is it the pen? Is it my hand? Is it my arm? Is it me? So there's a, a domino effect here. Could I say the pen is writing? Yeah, I could say. The pen is playing a role. And my hand is playing a role, and my arm is playing a role, and I'm playing a role. But if any one of these would stop, it would not take place. But I could not say that one of them is the cause. Is it, is it domino or is it the one where you need a, a part of each one? So I need the domino, yeah. but I need more than the domino. Why? Because in the domino, or my hand is writing, none of these causes, including me at the end, is the one creating the existence of the thing. When we go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's the one creating. He's not only causing the thing to be, He's causing in the sense of creating from nothing. Like what? So let's take simplified examples of this. Let's say someone becomes a priest and he's marrying people. And what does he say? What's, what are the words? By the power invested in me. Okay, that's one example. Another example. You have a soldier in the war. And he waits and his captain tells him, attack now. And he attacks. Or you have an employee working under a manager or a director. He's waiting, he has certain files, he's not sure what to do with them. The manager, the director comes in and he tells him, I'd like you to do this with those files. And so he goes and does it. Okay, any of these examples. When he says, by the power invested in me, I now am making you husband and wife. He did something. Where did that come from? From him? If he is just him, as this man, this entity, could he do that? No. There is something, the existence of something is being put in him. That is not from him. It's not from himself. It's being put in him. The power invested in me. The power comes from an institution which is the church. Right? The soldier, for him to act, and for that act to make any sense, he needs his captain to tell him what to do. Or the employee. The existence of the causality is coming from somewhere else. It's not coming from the person himself, from the entity itself. It has to come from the outside. When we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes, and he is a cause, when I say I'm a human being who acts with free will, who is the cause of my free will? When I decide to write, or I decide to drink, or I decide to pray, who is causing the act? Is it the pen? Is it my hand? Is it my arm? Is it the... Priest, is it me who's standing to pray or is it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who's making me pray? We're saying there is a free will. You are deciding. 
but everything that you're working with has been given to you. You have no effect, but you have given a choice. The tools to do anything with that choice have to come from Allah. There's a platform. You need a body, you need circumstances that allow you to do. All of that has to come from somewhere. The power to do, the effect that you're going to have, all of that comes from outside of you. But the will, the choice to do or not to do, and what to do, that's from you. Allah has put that free will in you. He hasn't put it in this bottle. That's part of His decree. That's part of it. That this bottle doesn't have it and you do. But you do. We are all agreeing that you do have the free will. Yes, everything around it has to be given to you by Allah. And you do something with it. But you do something with it. Okay. What's the importance of this topic? What are we trying to get at? First of all, of course, it's very important theoretically in theory, for all of us to understand, in theory, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We want to have a proper belief system. Okay? I'm not going to spend more time on that. That's the reason why we're all meeting and talking and gathering. And that's, I think, the easy answer. Beyond that, for us as human beings, we need to understand this for other reasons. Someone who doesn't understand this role, this duality, this dynamic between... On the one side, I do have free will. I do not have a free will in the absolute sense where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot intervene in any way, shape, or form, as some have believed. Nor do I have predetermination in the sense that everything, including my choices, have been predetermined for me. There's a balance between I've been given tools, I've been given circumstances and a platform in which I have to act, but I act, and I'm responsible for my actions. This is our balanced approach. This is what the imams, our imams, have taught us when people went to the imams and asked them in the height of the, the climax of the fighting between the Sha'ara and the Mu'tazira, and the Shia, some, some of them did not know what to do. Are we citing more? Who's right here? The Sha'ara or the Mu'tazira? And they came to the imam and said, the imam answered him in one sentence, everything we said, he told him, La jabra. Okay, it's between the two. It's an affair between the two affairs, or a matter between the two matters. Okay, so they are right and wrong, and they are right and wrong. Did okay. you explain to them, or did you just... Well, we have very long narrations of explanation and all of this. But this is, in short, it's this. This is our position. Now, everything we said is to explain this position. Yeah. Does this also fall into when it says Exactly. Because then that's the outside world. Sometimes the outside world you can't really fit. Yes. So then God judges you differently from Yes. Exactly. Okay. So someone who does believe who does believe that we have a free will, but who also understands that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala plays a role in the predetermination the pre-planning of the world and the decrees, the final results of everything. How are they going to live their life? If you really believe in Allah and you really understand how things unfold, you live at peace. You know that it's 
under God's watchful eye. You know that He's the one pre-planning. And you know that the outcomes are not within your control. Not only you and every other human being, including the prophets, including the imams, the final outcome is not in your hand. No one will come and say, let's say, the Holy Prophet was not effective, was not efficient, did not, was not qualified or competent to do his job. And yet, the amounts of people who believed, although he was extremely successful by our standards, by his standards, the Holy Quran says, you are basically wasting yourself away, killing yourself over these people who are not believing in you. Okay? In Surah Shara, right from the beginning, if you want to read the uh, verses 3 and 4, right from the beginning it says, you are destroying yourself over them because they don't want to believe. The Holy Prophet wants them to believe, but he doesn't control the outcome. He can't force them to believe. And he wants to do it for them, not for him. He cares, he loves them, he cares about them, and he knows what's waiting for them. And the Holy Quran comes back and reminds the Holy Prophet, your job is only to do the tablir, your job is to communicate the message to them. Your job is not to make them mu'mineen. You can't. You cannot make them mu'mineen. This is the free choice part. And this applies to the Holy Prophet, applies to the Imams, applies to everything in the world. And so when we take that to our lives, if you understand that your job is to do as you're supposed to do, do you control the final outcome? No. The final outcome, that's part of qada and qada. Even if you are Imam Hussein alayhi salam, and at the end you may die. You don't control the outcome. Your job is to do. And the better you are, the more you're not going to deviate. Your job is to do. You look at the circumstances, what's my responsibility based on these circumstances that are handed to me? Based on the parents I've been given, the society I'm born in, the century I'm in, the tools that have been given to me, the person I am, what is my responsibility now? And my job is just to act based on that. I don't control those circumstances because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who put them in place. And I don't control the outcome. My job is to try. That's the part I'm responsible for. The problem sometimes is that people go to the other extreme. And they say, well, if everything is in the hands of God, then they fall into laziness and become passive, and they become reactive or even passive. Not only do they not react, they become completely passive. It's on the hands of God. Whatever. He's already predetermined everything. No, the Holy Quran completely rejects that. Your job is to do. It's not to sit back. Your job is to do. That's your function. That's your mandate. That's your mission. It's to do. It's to act based on We've taught you what you're supposed to do when this is the circumstance, and we've taught you what to do when this is the circumstance. Your job is to do. But your job is not to control the outcome. The outcome is in the hands of God. People who fail to see that, they either become frustrated with the world, because they keep running into, you try, and you don't get the result that you want. So either they become frustrated, or they become depressed. Stress, Anxiety, depression, a lot of it is because you feel you do not have control over your life. And the more you live in life, the more you're going to be in those circumstances. 
when you're, you're younger, you don't realize them. As you go through life and the difficulties of life, you see the parts you don't control. And the more you run into that, the more you either become frustrated and grumpy and pissed off at the world, or on the other side, you become depressed. And sometimes both at the same time. Why is it? And then you want to link that to the problem that inshallah we're going to deal with, which is the problem of evil. This, these difficulties I see around me, this is all Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing. If there was a God, we wouldn't be dealing with this. What we're presenting is the alternative to that. We're saying no, it doesn't necessarily mean that. And inshallah we're going to go into this. We haven't even talked about the problem of evil in the world yet. But I think we're putting all the tools in place. Until we don't repeat all of this. Yeah? Uh, just going back to what you were saying about how both, like each, each extreme leads to... Leads to negative consequences or yeah how do you avoid that how do you avoid like how do you go into the middle and just say okay i'm not gonna i'm not gonna um, by using both sides of the right <clears throat> basically i'm claiming that if someone actually believes and understands the two notions on one side of you have free will and you're responsible for it. And that's all you're responsible for. Because the rest, that's one side, because the rest, which is the other side, the rest is in the hands of God. The rest, which is all the circumstances around you. Your duty to act does not change. You have a duty to act. The moment you become mature and responsible in this world, until you die, your job is to act. So, you're supposed to go get the knowledge that tells you how to act, and that's it. And you're supposed to act. Regardless of the circumstances, one, around you, and regardless of the outcomes you keep facing. But the outcomes are what's, what's annoying. And that's what we're saying. So there are people who are able to, the more you understand this, the more you become at peace with the fact that the outcomes, you don't control them. And that's why I just gave one. I could spend 10 lectures of three hours each just talking about how no one controls the circumstances. And we can go through all the final outcomes. We can go through our lives, but I'm trying to save time and I went and gave the example I gave the one example which hopefully for people like us means something the Holy Prophet the Holy Prophet can't deal with getting the result that he wants and there is no more lofty noble pure intention than his he's doing it for all the right reasons even that is not a guarantee that you're going to get the result you want and then the life of Imam Ali is a testament to that. And Imam Hassan, Imam Hussein, the, all the imma. If we want to go to people, we're like, maybe someone else, you can have different... What, what? How do we explain that? How do we explain that you're putting your all into something and you're still not getting the result? And this is where you have to say, my job is to do. So if there's one lesson that comes out of this is, none of them gave up. None of them said, well, it doesn't look like I'm going to be successful on this one. I may end up dying here. No. My job is to do. There's an act that is I'm responsible for. My job is to act. 
No passivity, no laziness, no sitting back, no giving up because all oh, it's all in the hands of God. Of course it is. We have free will in the action we take, but not the outcome. Your job is to do. And for the majority, and I would say for our lives in general, there's pretty easy laws in place for that. You know, you do, you get something for that doing. But it doesn't mean that the final outcome is that. Even in this life you get. Generally speaking, someone who studies, you pass. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to be unjust to you in that way. People who study and fail. Okay, so there's another issue, and we all know there's another that's issue. Right, that's, here. Where the <laughs> that's what we're saying. Like, there's another issue here, and I wouldn't blame Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for someone failing. I wouldn't say this is a divine decree that someone has to fail. I have to blame blame that person one hundred percent. Is it why it's like peaceful when you're when you when you're doing good for the afterlife? Because in the afterlife, there's no loss. There's the loss is only here. The loss could only be in this world. You're only judged on what you your act, what you do, the like your your choices. You're not judged on your outcome. There's no end result in the afterlife. It's what did you do and what were your intentions. Mm -hmm. That's it. Intentions good. You did good. Who cares about the outcome? And if there's an outcome, that's a bonus. Mm -hmm. But in this world, your job is do with good intentions. That's it. Okay? Okay, so very quickly, let's wrap it up here. I don't want to spend too much more time on this. Okay, so to wrap up the previous topic, when we looked at all the causes, where does the human free will fit in? It's like there's a chain of things, ingredients, a soup of ingredients, or a chain of things that have to happen. The free will is the last piece. It's the last ingredient. Everything has been put in place for you, and you have to decide what to do with the piece that you control, which is your free will. All the rest of the circumstances, the pre-planning that has taken place before you, the final outcome of all of this, this is all not, not of your concern. You shouldn't dwell on that. You shouldn't concentrate or put your energy there. But is that component under your control or not? Yes, it is. And you're responsible for it. And that's all you're responsible for. Okay? That's one. The second point is, so if we go to a couple of verses of the Qur'an, and I will end with this. So one verse of the Qur'an, very quickly. I, I don't want to spend too much time uh, explaining them. So one verse of the Qur'an in Surah An-Najm, from verses 38 to 42. So, given everything we said, inshallah, you can see how inshallah all of this wraps it up to, for us uh, in a couple of verses. The passage from Surah An-Najm 38:42: There is no bearer that shall bear another's burden. Okay, لا No one carries the burden of someone else. This is very important to what we're talking about. Okay, you're responsible for you, not for anyone else. Okay, and what you do, you carry. Good and bad. No one else carries for you, and you do not carry for anyone else. Okay? No bearer shall bear another's burden, and nothing belongs to man or human being except what he strives for. All you own is what you strive for.
وَأَلَّيْسَ لِلْإِنسَانِ إِلَّا مَا سَعَى سَعَى is walking fast, you know. You run after something. Okay, what you're running behind, after, to catch, that's all that belongs to you. وَأَلَّيْسَ لِلْإِنسَانِ إِلَّا مَا سَعَى وَأَنَّ سَعْيَهُ سَوْفَ يُرَى That effort, that striving behind something, for something, is going to be seen. By who? By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's watching you as you run behind things. So what are those things you're running behind, running after, to catch them, to get to them? Nothing belongs to man except what he strives for, and that he will soon be shown his endeavor, then he will be rewarded for it with the fullest reward, and that the end is toward your Lord. Okay, these are a few verses. We could spend a lot of time talking about them, but basically it talks about the free will. It talks about how you're responsible for yourself and not anyone else. Don't play the victim and blame someone else for what you're doing. And no one else is going to carry what you're doing for you. And you're not carrying someone else's burden. You carry your own. You are responsible for what you do. That's what you strive for. And whatever you're striving for has a reward. Good or bad. And soon enough, that reward will be given to you. And at the end, we all go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's it. And then the end is toward your Lord. That's one. One group of verses. So if you want to keep them, that's Surah Al-Najm 38-42. Surah Al-Hadid, verses 22-23. And so this is all of this to make us understand why someone may say, if you want to go deeper, and we didn't spend any time on this question, I'm finishing with this. Someone may say, but why did Allah subhanahu wa create the world in this way? Why does he control those pieces and give us those pieces? So the easy answer is because this is the best, right? So that's the, the easy answer. This is the best world that that can be. For everything, for all the purposes, based on divine wisdom, so on and so forth, this is the best world that can be. Okay, but what? why? So the Quran answers this. It says, no affliction, basically no test, no difficulty, no problem. No affliction visits the earth or yourselves but it is in a book before we bring it about. Okay, so remember the tablets. and Okay, so the problems that you're encountering, are they just random and happening just like that? No, no, no. They were pre-planned. They're part of the plan for you, each one of you individually, these problems, these afflictions that you're facing. No affliction visits the earth or yourselves, but it is in a book before we bring it about. That is indeed easy for Allah. Because when we think about it, it's like, wow, this is every, every? It's a, yes, every. And that is easy for Allah. Why? So that you may not grieve for what escapes you, nor exult, so become happy, nor exult for what comes your way. And Allah does not like any swaggering braggart. Okay, so the bottom line, so that what? So that you do not, you learn not to be attached to this world. Okay, Surah Al-Hadid, verses 22-23. So that you may not grieve for what escapes you. You're running after something and it escapes from you. Or you're running for something and you catch it and you get it. Nor exult for what comes your way. Because this is the true Tawheed that you understand this is not really your doing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making things come your way or not come your way. You may want them and they don't come. 
Or you may want them and they come. Or you may not want them and they come. You don't control any of that. Your job is to do. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching you the discipline to be a real believer in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, including the submission in times of difficulty, of what you get and what you don't get. So that if there's ugliness that comes your way, you're fine with it. And there's beauty that comes your way, you're also fine with it. Without being attached to it, you don't look at the thing itself, you look at Allah behind the thing. If it came, you're okay with it. If it didn't come, you're okay with it too. Your job is to do. Your job is to act. So that's the layer. That's the level that the Quran teaches us, the majority, the masses. The higher level, to go one level higher than that, is not only to be okay and to endure patiently the difficulty and not to be too attached to the beauty. The next level is that you see it all as beauty. There is no more ugliness. You live in a state of peace with whatever is happening. Of course there is a human side to you. Of course there are difficulties and you feel them. But you are able to look past them and be completely at peace and you only see divine action. You understand the divine wisdom. You see the divine mercy. You see how things are unfolding based on a divine plan. And you see that it's beautiful. But it's not easy to see it beautiful if you're looking at the material world going around you. You can only see that if you see way beyond that, much deeper, to understand how this history is unfolding. How all of this is coming together in this way. An infinity of ingredients coming all of them together in a certain way. And sometimes it's very difficult. And that's why when Yazid told Zainab alayhi salam, told her, so how did you see what God did to your brother? And he had just been killed in the way he was killed in Karbala, with everything that happened. How did you see what God, how did you see, how did you see what God did to your brother and those with him? And she said these famous words, Ma ra'aytu illa jamila. I have not seen but beauty. So this is another layer. This is another level where it's not only you endure the difficulty, it's that you're able to see the beauty in it. This is another level. And inshallah, we, we can talk more about that. Inshallah. <laughs> That's inshallah our transition to that one. Okay? Yes. Verse 22 yes. of Surah Al-Hadid. So that you may not grieve for what escapes you, nor exult for what comes your way. And Allah does not like any swaggering braggart. That's, that's, that's a nice translation. What translation is that? Uh, this one I just copy-pasted quickly. I have my own, but this one is just from Ali Quli Qara'i. It's probably one of the best right now. Ali what? The other day I was driving and uh, it was on a road that I always feel on. Mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Do we see where this is going? It's, it's not. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> I always feel on it, right? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this car comes in front of me, like as if he was coming really fast, right? And then he just slowed down. And 
He was going like 20 on a 50, in a 50 area. I was like, what are you doing? Relax, you know? <laughs> or it felt like 20, anyway. So I was really mad. I was behind. I was like, you know what's happening, you know? And then I, we got to the end of the road, and there was a cop right there, right? So yeah. me, I'm like, damn. Like, imagine the, this car didn't come in front of me. And this cop would have stopped me for sure, you know? Yeah. So I was just thinking, like, God might have put him in front of me for a reason. You know? Like, that I was know. me that slowed down. That was you? Yeah. Probably, to be honest, huh? <laughs> this part is and I refer to that under the heading of Tawfiq so I don't know you always hear the word you know Tawfiq Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives someone well, what do we mean by Tawfiq so there is a way to understand it you know that's a, there's a, a materialist component to it okay fine so this is only about driving and a cop pulling you over and but the same thing can be said about our entire lives with regards to religion. Of course, there are circumstances that happen that make us avoid certain problems. Like, you didn't decide that someone is going to come right in front of you, cut you off, and then slow. Slow down right in front of you. You didn't control that, but it forced you. You could have, I think you could have gone and passed him by. And probably did other things too. But in that circumstance, there are things that happened. I don't want to say you were forced, but you were nudged. Circumstances were created for you to most likely do this more than that. This is tawfiq. This is the part that we don't control. But this is what you want from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do for you all the time. Give me the tawfiq, create to me the circumstances where my job becomes easier. I don't want to be in the situation where I'm struggling uphill all the time for every everything. Or at least the things that I'm struggling with, give me tawfiq, create to me those circumstances that make it easier for me to deal with those issues at least. And of course, and we believe that you help yourself first, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will help you. I have two questions for you. Uh, the first one is a confirmation. You know, in, in Surah Al-Namin, when, uh, when the Nam, when the Nam goes... Uh, when the Namla goes, when the Namla, I don't know what the Namla does when, when the army goes, like in front of it. Oh, it tells them, like, watch out, like, don't step. Like, the Valley of Namla. There's a Valley of Ants. Yeah, and then they were, like, hide before the army. She told them, yeah. Yeah, ayyuhan Namla, udkhulu masakinakum. La yahtamannakum, Sulaymanu wa junooduhu wa hum la yashurun. Yeah. And then the Nabi Sulayman said, this is... man qawliha. Grant me the, the opportunity to thank you for the bounties that you have given me. And obviously he, he realizes the grace that he has to understand what the ant is saying. And, and he also, the continuation is, he says, either I... Or no, it says like, like so That's the thing. So like, what, everything that God's given grants us, we either like thank him for it, yes. or we look for it by worshipping it, or something like that. Yeah, so al-kufr in this word basically means being ungrateful. So if you notice, this is a big topic in the Quran, what kufr, how kufr is used, because we always want to say it's just disbelief. No, there's a kufr of different things. So ni'mah can have shukr and kufr. What do we mean? Shukr, basically you are in a state of gratefulness for the bounty, and kufr is your state of ungratefulness for the bounty. So kufr bin na'mah, which is being ungrateful. 
Sulaiman alayhi salam in this verse he's saying you have given me a bounty so how how do you do shukr to an'amah no that's with your tongue that's with your mouth you use it you use it in the best way possible hatta Allah gives you more of it whatever it is time money energy understanding what the ants are saying whatever ni'mah it is you use it in the best way in the most godly way and Allah gives you more of it and you use it in the opposite way you do haram with it you commit unjust injustice with it and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take it away from you and if he doesn't you should be very worried <laughs> no he may not but that's what the Quran says which one? It's like we make them slip. We keep giving them so that they keep sliding further down. With someone like that, they deserve a huge punishment. And this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not talking about a normal person. They're ta he's talking about the people who become leaders of evil in the world. You know, tyrants and dictators and unjust people causing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just keeps giving them more. He, you want to create more evil? I'm going to allow you to. And I'm going to give you the circumstances. And I'm going to give you the armies. And I'm going to give you the money. And let's see how far you want to keep going. Kul is going to be punishment waiting for you. If I don't create these circumstances for you, you're not going to get that punishment that you really deserve. And I won't punish you for something that I know you would do, but you haven't done yet. So let's see. Here is the money. And here are the armies. And here are the circumstances. And here are, let's see. Are you just going to keep going and making it worse and making it worse and making it worse? Okay. So all of history is, is full of that. And of course, Ahna, we can do that. Oh, would that be considered free will in the sense that, like, because he says, we'll make them slip? You know? Of course, it's of course it's free will. It's circumstances. At any time, you can stop. Which proves that they will never stop. You can't ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to come back. I swear, if you bring me back, I will do better. I gave you all the chances. I gave you more, and the more I gave you, the more evil you did with it. The Quran says, He has a, the ultimate argument. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make his argument, he'll seal the argument. He will always make the argument 100% clear. No yeah. And so when he says, well, the Quran elsewhere, he says, just, We gave you all the chances. We were there. And when... We, we give you, and so the test is going to come to everyone in a different way. But that's the topic of the next. The second thing is like, just to confirm, for like, to not be happy when something good happens to you, it's, 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 to, it's so that you don't feel safe in a way where it's like you forget Allah. Like, like when something, like say you can get a check. No, you want, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to be happy. That's not the happiness that we're talking about. Then what exactly are you talking about? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want you to become arrogant or think that this came to you because you are something special or that you forget that Allah is the one who brought this over to you. 
But he wants it to be happy. There's no issue with being happy itself. Be happy. You were created to be happy. Happy is good. Don't too big of a check. Give me half of it. I'll allow you. To, I'll help you be happy. Just the right amount. <laughs> Uh, one of the ayahs ended yeah. with uh, and the rest is towards your Lord. Yeah. The rest is towards Allah. Does that just mean that the final result, the final result is up to Allah? Yes. Is that what it means? No, that you are uh, going back to Allah. Oh, like okay. you live in this world, and you are going through all of these difficulties and burdens, and uh, you're running after things. And don't forget, at the end of all of this, when the dust settles, okay. There's nothing back. but you and Allah at the end of all of this. Okay. That's it. Okay. Yeah. It's like Allah, Allah, like, in another word, Yes. Uh, in marriage. Yes. Is it so? Like some people say, like, oh, Allah, 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 because yeah. in a way, yes, there might have been circumstances and put you in that position to be with that person when, like, you really do have the choice to be with them or not. Yes. And if, but at the same time, that person might also be the other, like, trillion people in the world. Well, like, I think it, it could be both. So I think this is part of like there's a very cultural component. Exactly, to that. that's what I was I think it's on the one side. I think people realize like the more you look at, especially people with like a lot of life experience, you realize that in this dimension of people's lives, it looks like it's a dimension where there's a lot more predetermination happening than the rest of our aspects of our lives. How two people end up together or don't end up together, looks like there's a, a hand at play all the time. Mm -hmm. And the way things unfold is often very surprising. Things that are supposed to be very difficult become very easy. And things that are supposed to be very easy become very difficult. And things you really want don't work. And things you didn't even think about just unfold overnight and suddenly it happens. I think this is, like the more people live through those themselves and with other people, the more they, like, it strikes you. We don't think about it until we're in it or we witness it enough. And so I think it's just to highlight that aspect of marriage and people ending up together, that this always comes up. Like, people tell you, you know, you can make all the plans you want, but at the end of the day, all of this is, you know, predetermined. Yeah. But it's not predetermined to the to the. Uh, to the level where we say we would, I would ever tell someone, you know, you stop trying, yeah. you stop trying to find the appropriate person, or no, 
That's your job. This is a part that I say, do not defer well, like, ever the person you don't possibilities. Know. Yeah, there's no such thing. That exactly. doesn't exist. That's deferring responsibility. And until you have a ma'asum come to you and tell you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed to you to marry so-and-so, which happened in the case of the Prophet, for instance, unless that happens, you have a choice. Both ways. To be and not to be with the person. So to, it's too cheap and too easy to just defer back to you know, it's all predestined. Yeah, everything else is also all predestined. And in God's knowledge, of course, all this is supposed to unfold in a certain way. Because when it works out well, it's nice to say, yeah, it's all good. And when it works out bad, it's also the same thing. So that cannot be the way you're going to act. It's not based on it's predetermined. And there's a component where you don't control. Of course, this is like everything else in life. Your job is to do based on what you know. So, yeah, the, you cannot, you know, it doesn't paralyze or put on hold your, your reason and your thinking and the criteria you have and the life you want to build. That is always in place and it doesn't change. And, of course, we believe that. At the end of the day, you may end up with someone and that's the most amazing person and this is a, a beautiful life and everything is good and that's good and that's what we all want. You may end up with someone and your life is difficult and, and that becomes a test. Both of those can be easily interpreted as it's part of the divine plan for you. Your job is to do based on the circumstances you're in. You don't control the circumstances or the final outcome. Remember that. <laughs> I don't know if that uh, that's an optimistic or pessimistic <laughs> note to end on. <laughs> but based, based on everything we said, yeah. <laughs> okay? Just one, last one, one more? Okay. It's easy. It's just easy. No, but they died. Keep going. So, for the hain in the Quran, means ignorant, not high. Make it ignorant. Get it arrogant. Arrogant, arrogant. I forgot to switch the whole thing. You know, you have verses, for instance, you have verses in the Quran where people think because they were rich in this world, they're going to not be punished in the next world and they're going to be rich and. And because they were honored and respected in this world they socially, easy in this world. I mean, they, they, good. exactly. And so we have verses in the Quran that say that they think because you have a status, social status, and privilege and luxury and whatever in this world, that this is what you're going to get in the next world. Or you know, the social standards of this world apply there. For mm -hmm. instance, when they're actually in that slide that you mentioned. <laughs> when they are, yes, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is numidduhum. <laughs> Do they think that what we're giving them in, in money and children, because those are the most important things to them, numidduhum malin wa Do they think that we're giving them good good for them? fil khayrat. Do they think that this is something that's going to be good for them? Anyways. So there's like this is a, a topic, a theme, because the reality is in societies in general and in the time of the Holy Prophet, especially in that cultural world, that was a thing, that was a problem. And the Holy Prophet was dealing with it and dealing with those people who had that kind of mentality. So there was definitely that. And of course, in any society, in any community, in any you know group of people that live together, there's going to be these complexes of superiority and inferiority or people who want to live by ranks you know their social classes social orders and you know so and so that's what they do and so and so that's what they do these don't mix and mingle you know everybody has their own prescribed role in that society or in that community or in that this is what the quran is attacking 
And on top of it, so there's a theological component to it. You think that you're entitled. And you're not entitled to anything. You are a servant of God, just like everybody else. You're all the same. This is the fakhur. This is the farih. This is the dhahik in the Quran that's mentioned here. In the, this is what it's talking about. You are distracted from God. This is a diversion of, from God when things are grave and serious. The Quran is coming to you, telling you there's Jannah and Nar, there is you know, afterlife, there's all of that. And you want to be distracted. Or you want to create a mockery out of it. Instead of believing what this man is telling you. Okay? This is the, the, the purpose of a lot of these verses. It has nothing to do with you know, someone who just wants to be happy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants everyone to be happy. No issue with, there, with that. He wants people to live balanced lives, to be happy, and just don't hurt anyone else and do what God wants. That's it. So is that the question? Yeah? yeah? I just wanted to know it's not you know? No, like, I, I knew it in a way, but like No no Bilakis. I once wrote a little article, I remember someone asked me about I wrote one article because they were asking me about discipline. So I wrote an article about discipline with someone at work. And you know the role of discipline in Islam. So I wrote a little article and I, I put it online and I shared the link with him and I told him, you know, like just a summary of the importance of discipline in our religion. And so he read it, he came back, he wanted to meet with me, and he had a question which was, yeah, I mean, if this is all there is, then it's so strict and so difficult and so boring and serious and, you know, stern and, you know, like, is there any room? Are you allowed to, like, laugh and joke around and be happy and, be easygoing. So I wrote another article <laughs> <laughs> to, to rebalance. <laughs> and I, I don't remember. I think it was like, you know, laughter or something like that. Happiness and laughter in Islam or joy and happiness. So I don't know what it was. Okay, to kind of counter, because I thought, you know what, if someone doesn't know and all they read is the other one, that one is very important. But our religion is very open and wants people to be like, be easygoing and be happy and be... Just be balanced. Mm -hmm. So long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone else and you're doing what God wants from you. The rest is, you know, it's all good. Enjoy life. Good? Okay. Okay, Allah. Everybody go home. Unless there's a question. No? Allah. <laughs> <laughs>